Welcome to Keep Them Coming with Open the Doors Coaching. I'm your host, Kristen Thomas. I'm a certified sex coach and clinical sexologist based in Kansas City, and I just love to talk to people about what goes on in their sex lives and relationships. I also enjoy good conversation about love, heartache, activism, or making change in the world. Be warned, you should probably be 18 and over and probably listening on your headphones. Thanks for tuning in. Hello, I am back in the new year. Happy 2023 to all you listeners. Thanks for tuning in for another episode. I am joined today by my friend Mika Stapleberg. We met through Sex Coach You at a SAR, and that stands for a Sexual Attitude Reassessment. Basically, a weekend intensive that people in our industry or anyone within the, the therapy or helping realm, or even just people who are interested in sexology, um, should take. It helps us sort of assess our thoughts and our feelings and attitudes towards sex. So, what better time to make a friend, right, than when you're kind of being your most vulnerable and exposing yourself to, to new things? Mika is wonderful. She has built up a lovely a couple of brands, as she'll talk about. And in today's episode, we talked about a wide variety of topics. Um, forgive us if it feels like we're rambling, but, you know, honestly, I think that my most listened to episodes are You're the Fly on the Wall and a conversation between two people who are just interested in talking about sex and relationships and nuances around different things like we talked about today was mental health, bias and stigma and self-reflection. And we did talk about the whole Andrew Tate thing, of, of course. We also talked about ethical porn and porn addiction and sex work, sex workers. So there's a little bit of something in here for everyone. This is also the very first episode that I decided to do a video podcast version of. So if you are so inclined, you can start going to my YouTube channel. It will be just a slightly different version of this podcast. It's probably going to have some um, limited content or exclusive content. That's how I should put it. Very exclusive content. Like maybe just a little bit of rambling at the beginning like this episode was. Um, but it's going to be a, you know, just a different way to access the information that I am trying to provide to people. Because the whole reason I'm doing this is to educate the masses help inform people, help normalize, help destigmatize, all that stuff. I'm also trying to help people rejuvenate their sex lives. That's why I'm hosting this couples intimacy retreat with Christine D'Angelo. Don't forget about that. If you have been having that on the brain, if you've been pondering booking that, it is now time. There is uh, no time left. You actually have just until January 10th. That's the last day that we can take people on. Now, you don't have to be paid in full by January 10th, but you do have to be signed up by January 10th. So that's just a few short days away. Again, that retreat is in Puerto Vallarta, Mexico, April 24th through the 29th. It's at an adults-only luxury resort right on the beach. No kids running around while you're trying to get your, your sexy back. The $5,000 fee is all-inclusive for you as a couple that is not per person. That includes your lodging and your food as well as the workshop fee for you both. 
So um, only thing you gotta pay for is airfare. We even covered the transportation from the Puerto Vallarta airport to the resort. And there's a lovely excursion one night called Rhythms of the Night that's super fun and sexy and has people dancing and fire. It looks hot. You can check that out online if you'd like. But we want to make this a really fun experience. We need a couple more couples to sign up to make this happen. So go to rejuvenateintimacy.com. You can sign up there. We'll get you going. All right. Well, let's just go ahead and dive right in to this episode with Mika Stapleberg. Thank you so much for being on my show today, Mika. Um, You are one of my very first friends that I made when I started my program with Sex Coach You, and it's been an absolute pleasure to watch your career just grow and expand because you started off with coaching, and now you are a sex therapist. So congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Like I just always love collaborating with you and you know, it feels like yesterday that you and I went to that event, the the SAR in LA, mm-hmm. and it was just such an incredible experience. And it really yeah, was. It I, yes, good. I'm so happy to count you as a friend and a colleague. And so tell, tell the audience a little bit more about yourself. Okay. Um, so interesting. I have this little spiel as well when I when I meet a client for the first time, both in mental health as well as in the sexology realm, where they say, how did you end up where you are right now? Like, how did you decide to be a counselor and a sex therapist? And it's a very interesting journey, and it's definitely not an ordinary one. So I always wanted to be an actor. So when I was 11... I remember I saw Titanic and I told my parents, I was like, I have to move to America because I'm going to marry Leonardo DiCaprio one day. (laughs) And they were like, really? You know, they were sort of entertaining the idea. And my mom said, you know what you need to do? You should write him a letter and tell him that when you're 16, I don't know why my mom chose 16. That's like such a weird age. We'll circle back for that later. Also, he... he was like much older than me. And she was like, when you're 16, you can move to America and go live with him. And I was like, mom, <laughs> okay. Um, so she made me write this letter to Leonardo DiCaprio. And we had this magazine in South Africa that always listed, and I'm sure you get them here as well. God, I haven't read a magazine like in <laughs> actual hard copy magazine in a while, but it had all of the fan email Mm, uh, mm -hmm. mailing addresses of the stars so Leonardo DiCaprio's was in there one week and she said write him a letter and I'll go and mail it now 11 year old me didn't know there was like a fan mail I was like oh my god like Leonardo DiCaprio's gonna know about me and then my parents said you know if you want him to notice you you're gonna have to sort of become an actor like if you want to be in a movie with him you're gonna have to perfect the the craft of acting (laughs) And so that's how I got into acting itself. And as the years went on, this is like really, really funny. Leonardo DiCaprio sort of disappeared off of the scene for a while. He -hmm. got the dad bod and he was always photographed on a yacht with some model, Mm -hmm. but he kind of stopped acting. And I remember by the time I hit 16, I had completely forgotten about him. (sighs) 
So my next victim was Orlando Bloom, because then I saw mm. Lord of the Rings. Um, and I'm going into the whole acting thing here, but it kind of leads up to where I am today. And so I said to my parents, you know, I'm going to be in a movie one day with Orlando Bloom. And they said, well, you know what you have to do, like you have to continue acting. And so I researched where Orlando Bloom studied acting. And I ended up applying for this school, the British American Drama Academy in London, and I got accepted, flew to London, spent time there, had some teachers from the Royal Shakespeare Company, and just like, a, it was just an amazing, amazing experience, tough, but amazing. Um, and then I went back to South Africa and I got my undergrad in acting, so my Bachelor of Arts degree in Drama. And I said, the next logical step is America. And by that time, Orlando Bloom and Leonardo DiCaprio, they were gone. Like I was in <laughs> love with the stage and the camera. And so moved to New York City. Um, I worked as an actor there, got a manager after I graduated from that school. And I still have that same manager till this day. So I still audition. And it's just been like such a whirlwind experience, but not a great industry for mental health. Right. I was mm -hmm. always under pressure and needed to look a specific way, needed to dress a specific way. Um, I sort of got to realize that the acting industry, when you go in for an audition, talent and the actual audition isn't always what matters. Because I threw out a bunch of really good auditions there, but it's more so if you fit the look of the mm -hmm. character. Mm -hmm. And so for me, it was tough. Every single time I got a no, it would, you know, sort of melt into my self-esteem of maybe I wasn't thin enough or maybe I'm not tall enough. And I just decided I'm not sure if this is what I want to do and sort of started opening up my mind to other, other possibilities for a career. And I was at a friend's house in New York City. Um, he ran an Airbnb and he had a South African woman stay with him for the weekend. And turns out that she was a sexologist. Well, she is. I'm actually a really good friend of hers now. Um, and she's based in Cape Town. Mm. So I was really curious. I was like, you have to tell me what this job is. Like, what do you do? South Africans, especially coming from Pretoria, which is a smaller town, um, can be quite conservative when it comes to sex, especially mm -hmm. Afrikaans South Africans. My parents were very different. Thank God for that. They were very, very different. I always felt like I could talk to them about anything in the sexual realm. Good, good. Um, but for the most part, the community that I grew up in was quite close-minded and a little bit more conservative in that sense. So when I spoke to her about what she did, what she does for a living, she was like, you're, you're from Pretoria, South Africa? Like, uh -huh. how? Why, why are you so open to this stuff? And I said, I don't know. I guess maybe it's because I've been living in Manhattan for so many years. And so she said, you really have to explore this as, as a job opportunity. Like, mm -hmm. look into studying human sexuality. And that is how I came across Dr. Patty Britton and just loved, loved working with her. I thought it was a wonderful course. That's how I met you. And we had that awesome experience in LA. Uh, what was that place? What was it called? But, um, Bar Sinister. Bar Sinister. <laughs> what a fun, <laughs> what a fun experience. And so, yeah, I just, as I started studying human sexuality a little bit more, um, I started noticing things within myself, you know, uh, biases and, and, and stigma and things that I wouldn't normally even have thought about. So it really, really just opened up my mind to a whole different world. 
Um, so I started working with clients one-on-one and, and just loved it. I loved, loved seeing my, my clients thrive. And um, I was especially drawn to working with the kink and the fetish communities. So as a mental health therapist as well, if you go on my Psychology Today profile, you'll see a very sex, sex worker allied, kink allied, fetish allied, the whole shebang. Um, and so, yeah, worked worked with this population in particular, and um, I saw them thrive in their relationships, and it just brought me so much joy. But I need to do I needed to do a lot of self reflection in that I found that I was sort of starting to live vicariously through my clients and their own their lives and their mm. you know relationships, and I had to ask myself the question: What's going on with you? Like, why is it that you're putting all this effort into your clients, but you're you're not really putting it into your own dating life? And that was a very, very tough realization coming to terms with the fact that I was miserable in my relationships. Mm-hmm. And I, I also understood that part, part of that was living in New York City. Uh, the dating scene in New York was really tough. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, it left me depressed beyond repair. Um, and then I decided, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to take one more go at it. And I swipe right on my husband on Bumble. And that's how we met. Um, and JC is my rock. We've been together now for five years. Mm-hmm. So yes. On- I remember when you met. Yes, yes. You, mm-hmm. you, you've been through it. Like you, you were there for my journey. You were there um, when I met Matthew too. And we had our absolutely. part one and then got back together during the pandemic. And Yes, yes. You know me from my single days, you know, mm-hmm. when I was living in the city and it was a nightmare. Honestly, it was a nightmare. Sure. Yeah. Um, but also it wasn't much fun here in Kansas City either, I'll tell you. That. I bet. I bet. You know, we actually got the award in 2022 for worst city to date in the United States. You're kidding. Why? I think it's just partly because for six months, there's so little to do because we're stuck indoors. Mm. It's heavily based around drinking. Mm-hmm. Um there's very little to do if you are a sober dater there's multiple factors but I think that also part of it is uh it's just Kansas City and it's just a mid-level market city yeah you know it's got some great things but it can be very boring yeah okay okay I've never been I've never been so yeah that's interesting because I always thought New York City yeah yeah like I just like have these these flashbacks of sure they had had very different issues I had great, I had great dating experiences as well. Let me not get that wrong. Um, let me not, you know, say this actually. But you also so weren't fighting your be, person. Absolutely. Absolutely. It was all about just finding the right person. And I'm sure that some of the people that I dated were su- they more suitable for someone else and, and that works for them. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's interesting that you bring up the whole, the dating scene around alcohol. I was in Lake Placid not too long ago. This just reminded me of, of this experience. And I went to the restroom. We were at this really cool little lodge. And I went to the restroom and there was a, a paper that they had put on the mirror. And that while you're washing your hands, they say, if you feel like you're in trouble, order the specific drink and we will make sure that we get you an Uber Mm. and we'll get you make sure that you get home safely and I just thought that, that was amazing I was like ugh, I don't know if you I've you seen TikToks it. about that um yeah, and uh, 
how sad is it that that's needed? But thank you for watching out for ladies. And until mm -hmm. we reprogram our society to get men to not sexually assault women, mm -hmm. while we're on that road, let's just say yeah. we're already on that path. Yeah. We've got to have some stop gaps in the meantime. I think that being one good effort for sure. Absolutely. But Absolutely. Yeah, good to yeah, see. Yeah, I really just, I appreciated that a lot. Mm -hmm. Um. So yes, where was I? Oh, the so I met JC. Um, JC is a health coach, right? So he he's currently expanding his health coaching company to Singapore and Hong Kong, and I worked with him in that realm as well. So I love the the holistic part of it too. And I said, how can I marry, you know, um, the health and wellness sector with sexology, and it sort of all became this thing called Mind Six. Mm -hmm. Um. But for me, the, the next logical step was going into, into counseling. And so I am a mental health counselor and I work a lot in, sex, in the sex therapy realm now. Um, and I've noticed that there are just so many people out there who, who need to be heard. They just want someone to talk to. Mm -hmm. um, and these people could range from, you know, people who have rubber fetishes, like dresses full on dollies and you know, people who are in love with inanimate objects all the way through to people who just, you know, want to have missionary sex and feel like there's a lack of connection. So mm -hmm. I really work with so many different people um, and then with sex workers as well, which which is something that I hope we can touch on um, because it's a yeah. much needed conversation to have the need that's out there for sex workers to be able to openly disclose what they do for a living and not feel judged by their therapists. Um, so yeah, I think that that's how I, how I got to where I am today. I, like I said, it's been wonderful to watch you along this path and see you just, you know, put one thing in front of the other. And now here you are a graduate in private practice. And like, as you say, like there is such a need for mental health and sexology. Like oh, yeah. so many people don't realize that not every single therapist is equipped to help people with their sex life or their mm -hmm. kinks or their fetishes. It doesn't matter. A lot of them have not gone through the additional training that it takes. Mm -hmm. Like you either have to pick that as your focus or go back and get further education yeah. for the yeah. sexology components as a therapist. And that's a choice. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No, absolutely. I totally agree with you. Um, I was actually just thinking about this this morning. Um, when I go back to looking at the, when you get your master of arts degree in clinical mental health counseling, all of these programs, as wonderful as they are, there is not much of an emphasis on sexuality and counseling. Mm -hmm. And I find that my biggest, um, how would I say the people who reach out to me on psychology today often reach out because they say they see sex therapy listed as the top and they go not sure if you can help me but you know I've not been able to find the right therapist or I've, I feel judged every single time I do an intake somebody doesn't quite know how to deal with with my concerns um, and that's not uncommon in the mental health field because mm -hmm. our training when you do choose sexuality and counseling as an elective it's an elective which it shouldn't be it should be a requirement for graduation. Um, it's really just 10 weeks long. 
and very it doesn't it just really really skims the surface of what sexuality is um mm. and so often what happens is counselors find themselves in a situation where they have their own stuff coming into the room with them um there's so much shame around sex and and if we haven't gone through the self-reflective process like what dr patty put us through yeah things are going to come up for you in a session with a client and it's going to stun you and you are going to sit there and not know what to say. It's going to come off. It's going to give off an energy to the client that you're not welcoming or you're not open to talking about sex. So we're human beings, right? And if we haven't been able to come to terms with our own sexuality and when I say sexuality, obviously I'm not talking about sexual orientation. I'm talking about just sexual expression and, and our sexual yeah. being. Um, we're not going to be able to hold space for anybody else. And so it gets awkward. It gets really awkward because how can we expect of a client to sit and tell us about their sexual lives if we don't know how to talk about our own? So, and not with a client, I'm not speaking right. here about personal self-disclosure, but just in our own lives, you know, being, yeah. being in that, yeah. I'm so glad that you brought that up because I, it is sort of, I don't want to say a joke, but it's a common theme that in a lot of realms within therapy, there's people practicing who haven't really dealt with their own stuff. And I think sex is one of the primary things mm-hmm. that so many people haven't dealt with. So of course there's therapists that haven't dealt with that stuff because it's not like sex education is great in mm-hmm. this country. Mm-hmm. Well, if you're partnering up in your personal life with someone who's got the same exact sex education as you like yeah what, how are you going to work with that you have yeah. to you have to make effort you have to be diligent prioritize the importance of mm-hmm. your sexuality being a topic that you can talk about in your relationship absolutely absolutely it, it's it it also is sad because in order to have a healthy sex life, you need to be able to comfortably talk about sex with your partner. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So Absolutely. It's a whole thing. You're, you'll be happier in your own life. You'll be better off in practice as well. Yes. But yes, yes, you do have to deal with some stuff. Absolutely. I'm, I've seen a few mental health professionals here in town just to talk about some of the sexology stuff and help mm-hmm. them work through some of their things so they can be better for their clients. And that's been a really beautiful journey too. I love that. I love that, Kristen. And and I do just here to learn and grow, right? Yes, no, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and here's the thing, we have this concept, this idea that mental health counselors, and you, you sometimes get this from your clients as well, where they, they think that you're this all knowing human being, and really you're not right. You're just there in that experience with them. And because they're like, oh, tell me, tell me what to do. Like my partner and I aren't having enough sex. So this is just an example. I'm not actually referring to an actual client here. My partner and I are not having enough sex. Please, Mika, tell me what I should do. Like, what can I do today to fix this? And I go, whoa, like I cannot, I cannot tell you what to do. You already have all those answers within you. I can help guide you there but I can't tell you exactly what to do. So, so sex therapists, um, not sex, ther- well, mental health counselors, I should say, because I feel like sex therapists have that deeper level of understanding of sexuality and their own, mm-hmm. but mental health counselors are also just human beings who need to figure out their own stuff. And I think that, well, I hope that you'll th- you'll consider coming up with a program that you can 
you know, like an online program where you can train mental health therapists. Maybe we can team up. You know what? There's a couple of things we need to team up on. Yeah. So, yeah. Interesting stuff. You know, Mika, you brought up something earlier that got me thinking about some sex in the news stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, one is about Andrew Tate. Did you see all that mm-hmm. with him getting caught with human trafficking and like yeah. everyone's already been talking about the tweets that, you know, got us there, but I don't necessarily want to talk about that real quick. What I found interesting was the conversations that have come now about this form of sex trafficking mm. that he participated in, which is this lover boy yeah. version. Yeah. Can we talk about that for a moment? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Have this you- is- Sorry. <laughs> no, I wanted to say this is such an interesting, such an interesting concept because it happens so, so often, doesn't it? Yeah. And um, when we think human trafficking, I think our minds immediately go to something like Liam Neeson's movie Taken, mm-hmm. like the Taken movies, right? But human trafficking can happen in so many different forms. And we need to start m- talking more about it, mm-hmm. what it looks like. It's yeah. happening in personal relationships. Right. So tough stuff. You know, uh, something in the media, I think that was a good recent representation of the lover boy method was on White Lotus season two. Yes. Mm-hmm. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Handsome man comes in and he, you know, says all the right things and treats you the right ways. And then some things are starting to turn not to give mm-hmm. away White Lotus. If you haven't watched it, that's fun yeah. too. Like go finish it. But, yes. um, Andrew Tate used that method of he, and he admitted it, that he was making someone his girlfriend, Mm -hmm. getting them to fall in love with him, getting them to start a campsite or be on OnlyFans, something, Mm -hmm. and then taking the money for it. Yeah. Yeah. And he was doing this over and over and over again. Like that is more often than not what sex trafficking looks like. It's from people that you know, people you're involved with, even family members sometimes. Mm-hmm. It's not the stranger danger. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Not to say that it doesn't exist, but it's so minuscule. Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, it's it's interesting because I've heard people, let's look at sites like Pornhub, for example. We're not really knowing what we're watching there. We don't really know how that performer has been coerced into making these videos, right? Mm-hmm. And so we tend to think that when we hear somebody go ooh and ah, and they look like they're enjoying themselves, that it's consensual. And that is absolutely not the case. So there are so many. This is a very, very complex topic to get into because obviously. I I also do think that we need to consider the other side of this, where it's okay. So if we're going to say that performers on, let's say, for example, Pornhub, these videos that we see are being human traffic, then what about girls who are um, doing phone sex or right. uh, women who, yeah, who are by choice sex yeah. workers? Right. So we've, yeah. got, we've got to have room for protecting those who are not doing it on their own free will and providing mm-hmm. space for those that want to do it. Like Absolutely. not all porn is human trafficking. Okay. All porn is sex work. Sorry. <laughs> like, like our congressperson here in Missouri wants to equate all porn to sex trafficking. She mm-hmm. was one of the ones who helped get FOSTA-SESTA passed. 
Yeah. Yeah. That's, so that's like unfortunate. It is. And it's it's very unfortunate. It's time for a quick break. I promise it'll just be a minute, so stay tuned. I'll be right back after a few words that help me get paid. When it comes to your adult visual content, are you wanting something a little more ethical? Perhaps a little more queer? Then maybe you need to check out Afterglow. Afterglow provides erotic visual content for women and non-binary folks made by women and non-binary folks. Why is it important to watch ethical porn? Well, because you want to make sure that everyone on screen is consenting. You want to make sure everyone on screen and involved in the production is getting paid for you watching this, not just someone who downloaded it from another website and re-uploaded it. And we are certainly not wanting to watch someone's revenge porn. The way to avoid all of those things is to pay for your content. But you can try out Afterglow for seven days free by going to the website that is either in the show notes or go to the links in my social media bios, click that, then use the code XOKristen, and you'll get a seven-day free trial to Afterglow. What do you what do you talk about with your clients when it comes to the um, conversation around things like ethical porn and where they're sourcing their adult content? Oh, yeah, no, this is really interesting. So um, it's, a, it's a tough conversation to have. Um, because I, I often tell tell my clients, you know, obviously we'll we'll get it more in depth with where do you find your porn? Like how do you know that this person is actually in the scene consensually? And most of the time they'll say, I really don't. Like it's not even something that crosses my mind, mm-hmm. right? And I think that that's what makes it difficult is that there isn't an awareness around what ethical porn is and what unethical porn yeah. is. Um, so sex is there's so much shame around it that I think for the most part when people when it's it's sometimes like a compulsion especially people who really really um indulge like I I work a lot with I know this is controversial sex addiction right Mm -hmm. the topic of um people will come in and say I think that I have a porn addiction and so there's this compulsion around it where um the kind of porn that I watch might be what other people would consider to be very shocking, right? So they find the stuff on sites that don't necessarily have performers post their own stuff. And like That's OnlyFans, for example, I would say, um, I don't know, to be honest, this is really interesting that you bring it up because you just said with the sex trafficking and OnlyFans, I mean, it could happen on OnlyFans as it well. It can happen on OnlyFans. I, I would say that more likely than not, people on that site are a little more in control, but you don't know, you don't know. who's controlling their bank account. I, I would think that if you're able to make a request and get a custom video and have some interaction with them, maybe, I don't know, but like, yeah. there's no guarantees, but there's definitely no guarantees on something like Pornhub that they're of age that they were not on drugs, that they weren't coerced, and that they're getting paid for that. Yeah. Annie Schmo so, that uploaded that video and is making the money off it, not the performers, nor the producers, nor the camera people. You know absolutely. what I mean? Absolutely. And then think about revenge porn as well, yep. right? That yep. sort of comes into play here too. Um, but where I was going with this um, is we don't we don't really know, right? But I think with something like Pornhub, 
what makes it different is that we don't get to see the ID. We don't get to see how old that performer really is, right? Mm -hmm. So what are we watching? Mm-hmm. When we're looking at cheerleader stuff, for example, what would be considered role play? Do we know that that person is of age, right? So with something like OnlyFans, when something when someone uploads their content, they have to verify that they are all of a legal age, right? Yeah. So at least we have that safety going for us. Yeah. Um, but yeah, ethical porn. It's it's a tough one because I think there's so much shame around sex. So when I when I talk to clients about that, I'll say, okay, so you watch porn and then you're done. And then typically what they feel is there's a lot of shame. So I think what they want to do is they sometimes just want to push away the fact that they even watched porn, right? So there's no like thinking about, oh, I don't want to think about that. Like it's done. I'm not doing it again. I don't want to think about whether it was ethical or not ethical. So, but it is a, it's a consistent conversation to have. Um, but I was going to say with regards to knowing Um, who's being trafficked versus who is doing it because they really want to do it. That's where the importance of a sexologist and a sex therapist or just a mental health counselor comes in, right? Because both of these individuals need support because there's a savior mentality when it comes to sex workers, right? I work with them all the time. So I completely understand. It's this idea of, oh, okay. So you're pretending to enjoy doing this, you there's no possible way that you could have chosen to go into this line of work right so we want to save these individuals even though they are consenting adults who love what they do so you'll often find and i've you know in my work with sexology where i work with sex workers um, i often find them saying that these men will say why don't you just quit you're so much better than this i can take care of you Mm -hmm. And then I want to say, well, first of all, why are you here? Like, what are you doing? Are you trying to pinpoint or, you know, find somebody specific who you feel is vulnerable so you can take them out of their job and give them a life? But what happens in that life? Mm -hmm. Is that then where it goes from consensual to trafficking? Right? You're asking, you're essentially asking somebody was choosing a career to give up that career, which means that now there is this financial hold. So financial abuse, you have a financial hold on them. Mm -hmm. So what do you make them do? Because now they're stuck, right? For the most part, the women that I work with, I would say are very strong, very, very, no, no way, you know, but it's just, it is interesting to me that it happens so often. Yeah. I love that you work with sex workers. I love having sex workers as friends and clients. And you and I, I think, are both of the same belief that sex work is work. Yeah, and absolutely. What you pointed out there being the critical factor of this is for some people their career. And mm-hmm. that is fine. There is for you and I, no judgment for that. But like you say, there's so many people out there who'll be like, you can do better than this. Don't you want to do better? Some of these people are making a lot of money. Yes. Like a lot of money and they have fun while they're doing it. This is Mm -hmm. their choice. Uh, A lot of them have educations. A lot of them have had careers. You know, these aren't just people who are doing it because it's their only choice. Yeah. Yeah. I know a lot of sex workers um, 
you know, phone sex operators, escorts, people who have doctorates, master's degrees, and they end up not wanting to go into that field. And mm-hmm. they love what they do. And they say, mm-hmm. it's something that I enjoy. It's actually very empowering. Um, and, and there's just no reason why we have to villainize that, that industry. Also, if we are able to legalize sex work, those individuals can get health insurance. They can mm-hmm. get benefits, right? They are things that yeah, we can they can do. unionize. They can unionize. We can get them the physical care that they need, you know, like health insurance, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just it's a win-win all around. Um, I know that there will be so many varying opinions on this. I know that there will be people who are going to be like, "I'm going to slap you on the wrist. Why did you say that?" Um, but yeah, that's that's how I feel about it. I really do. Oh, on this podcast, there's never been a guest that hasn't been talking about sex work in a way that's like, it is work. We should decriminalize it. You know, the, the whole process that's around sex work right now, the very carceral mentality around it, it's got to shift. It's not doing anyone any good. Yeah, I think that a lot of a lot of people that I've spoken to about about sex work, um, in particular women, when they hear that sex work needs to be legalized, what they'll often say is, oh, but then wouldn't that give more men permission to go out and hire prostitutes or escorts? And to them, I want to say they're going to do it anyway. if they want. Yeah, they're going to do it anyway. Exactly. Exactly. Like. I, I always focus on saying like decriminalization versus legalization because like decrim opens up the states to kind of regulate the system, right? Mm-hmm. And so, yes, you can get into a situation where if you're saying, oh, well, you have to have a license for a brothel, then you get into, you know, is it cost prohibitive for someone who's been a sex worker for 20 years and wants to be a madam, wants to open up a house. Mm-hmm. Is it cost prohibitive for this, you know, trans sex worker versus this old rich white guy, mm-hmm. you know, like you saw in cat house, they're all old rich white guys that own those brothels right. in Nevada. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You could end up with a system like that. So um, it's a slippery slope, no matter what we do, but something's got to change yeah absolutely absolutely um i just wanted to for a moment i know that we're sort of running out of time um but i just wanted to for a moment bring in the importance of consent especially now that we've spoken about um what has happened with this whole andrew tate situation um there is so much stigma around the bdsm community for example Um, I believe that the only way that we are going to break the stigma is very similar to how we break stigma in the mental health field, and that is psychoeducation, right? What we don't know, we fear, and we push away, Mm -hmm. we stigmatize, because it comes from a place of the unknown, which leads to anxiety, right? So when we don't understand something, we tend to either make fun of it or, but interestingly enough, we're more drawn to it, aren't we? So look at look at where we yes. are with sex education in America, right? Yeah. We're told to abstain. We're told to, uh, you know, put the condom on the banana, right? Like this is how you do it. But that makes us more interested in what's out there, right? Because what we squash 
will always come back up. And sometimes yeah. with a vengeance, right? And that's why we find that porn is porn yeah. hub, for example, where there's no, well, not no ethical porn, but for the most part, we don't know where that porn comes from, is explored so often because where else do kids go to learn, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, which is very sad. But anyway, where I was going with this is that it's so important for us to start talking about sex. So let's take, for example, the media, um, the show Billions. I don't know if you've seen that. I've seen a few yeah. episodes. Yes. Yes. So yes. Right. I know what you're talking about. Yes. I'm going to use this as a, as a prime example. Um, so this high-powered district attorney and his wife, they play around in the BDSM realm. She's his mm -hmm. dominant and he's her submissive, right? And I remember I was with a with a group of people one day and we started talking about TV shows and I said, have you guys seen Billions? Like, it's amazing. I love that show. And they all went, oh, yeah, is that what, like, the district attorney was like, he's, he's kind of weird. Like, he's into, like, weird sexual shit. And I'm like, oh, let me explain to you what that really is, you know. So it's very, very common for people in high-powered positions to feel more submissive in the bedroom mm -hmm. because they can finally let go. They can finally be in a position where they don't have to make every single decision. That's not everybody in high-powered positions, of course, but it happens very, very often. Yes. And I think what needs to be... Um, explored and a community that we can really learn consent from is the BDSM community because consent lies at the heart of BDSM I'm not saying we should all go out and join the BDSM community but we can certainly learn a lot from them about boundary setting right what is consensual and what isn't because it's so often not just black and white there's a lot of gray and and it's about constantly checking in with your partner constantly checking in with your friends and asking when you see them in certain relationships especially where there are narcissistic tendencies you pick up on that when you see them in those kinds of relationships ask them if they're okay even if they say they are check in no look for signs that you can notice right are they being coerced into something has their behavior changed since they've been with this person? Mm -hmm. Are they cutting themselves off from really, really important relationships in their lives? Isolating, anxiety, mm -hmm. depression, like all of these, like are they exhibiting any of these signs? And only then can we, can we really help people who might very well be stuck in these lover boy situations. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I definitely heard some of the judgment from people when I'm, um, you know, talking about either media or experiences that, you know, I've had, or others have had talking about BDSM and kink, things like that. And seeing they're like, you know, the, either looks they give or the like, Ooh, or the things they say for sure. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But I also do think about, wow, if you had only gotten a proper education about this topic long ago, yeah, it wouldn't be so stigmatized. So thank you for bringing that up is that, you know, that's something that I've, I contemplate often mm -hmm. and think about like, am I doing everything I can to help put people on the right path to destigmatize? Because often as a coach, because they've already gone to therapy, oftentimes before me, they've usually worked through the like 
why they got to this point. Mm-hmm. Whereas they're usually often at a place of acceptance with me. And maybe some people are starting off that personal acceptance um, and they've started exposing themselves to, to different things. But to, to actually change one's mind from mm-hmm. a place of judgment and thinking something is dirty or it's wrong or it's abusive mm-hmm. to helping them understand that under the right circumstances, it can be empowering. And yep. with consent, it can be beautiful and fun and oh. a positive experience for all involved. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is really interesting that you bring up consent can be beautiful and fun, right? Because I think that that's how we need to reframe our thought around it. Because a lot mm-hmm. of people will say, oh, but, you know, everything nowadays seems so mechanical, right? After Me Too, the Me Too movement, people are saying, I just don't know if I'm allowed to touch this person or if I'm allowed to even hug this person or people have become sort of afraid, right? So they'll say, everything now seems so mechanical and planned out. There's no spontaneity in it, to which I say that's absolute rubbish, right? Consent is sexy. (laughs) Yes, thank you. Making someone feel safe and loved and respected and knowing that that you are not somebody who pushes boundaries and that person knows that and can trust you there's nothing nothing more attractive than that yeah and you know i have found that the people who are bringing this up to me also in practice are the ones who it's like you're the last person that anyone's worried about like you are probably the person that actually does maintain boundaries you're just actually considering other people's feelings because you're empathetic it's all those jackasses out there who this isn't even crossing their minds that those are the ones we wish were paying attention to these conversations absolutely because the the, especially the men in my practice who are saying you know i don't want to be it i don't want to come across as a jerk i don't want to bother somebody i certainly don't want to cross any lines they're Mm -hmm. they are like the last people that i'm worried about doing that yeah. yeah, mostly because they actually have that concern. Like, because of the fact that your intention is to not be that person, mm-hmm. I'm not going to be that person. Exactly. So yeah. Self-awareness. But let me help you feel comfortable with it. And sometimes it's just like easing their minds that they're not that guy already. Yeah. But yeah. the other guys out there, the ones that should be in this office right now yes. or about consent yeah. and totally, but that's probably not going to happen. Right. That's probably not going to happen because there's a lack of self-awareness there. And what Bingo. are we doing? Yeah, what do we do with the lack of self-awareness? Kind of just have to wait for them to burn a little bit so that they can become more self-aware. But it's yeah, it's it's not it's not an easy one. Um, I just wanted to to say that I love the idea of people getting therapy, right? Everybody should be in therapy, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, my therapy cat isn't here with me today. Delilah, she always mm-hmm. my clients love her. Um, Delilah's in therapy. She does many sessions a day with me. <laughs> uh, so everyone should be in therapy. And I think that um, what you're doing with sexology and what both of us are doing in terms of that realm is wonderful when somebody's already gone through therapy. They've worked through the biopsychosocial aspect of things and then move on to, okay, let's focus more on solution fo- solution-based yeah. things. How, yes. do we, how do we move you forward now that you're at this point of acceptance? Yeah. yeah. 
there are definitely people who have come to me. I'm like, you know, I, I absolutely can help you with some things, but I really think that you would be better served by attending therapy first and mm-hmm. working through a few things. And then you'll be ready for me. Like yeah. it's, it's not a no, it's just a, this is going to be a process. And I'm mm-hmm. so proud of you and happy for you that you're ready for this process. Mm-hmm. But I think this step is critical for you first. Absolutely. I yeah. love it. Yeah. Mika, how do the people find you online? Wow. Okay. So this is an interesting one. Um, I am, I have a meditation podcast called Karma Mind that I actually have not uploaded in a while, but that's um, okay. You're my first episode in like two months. So. Okay, good. Oh, <laughs> mine's like a year, I think, because it's just been so busy with school, but um, it's called Karma Mind. You can find me on Instagram at Karma Mind, K-A-R-M-A-M-I-N-D underscore at Karma Mind. And I'm really excited. I'm actually bringing out a clothing line for Karma Mind too. So um, everything originally started out as mind sex, mindfulness meets sexuality because the brain is the biggest sex organ of all. Mm -hmm. And then I realized that people still clutch their pearls at the word sex. So it sort of melded into Karma Mind, which is mindfulness practice. How can we bring mindfulness into our relationships? Uh, with self and others and so from there on I went what what other cool stuff can I do and so I'm in the process of writing a book I'm actually in the process of writing two books the one is stop torturing yourself right how to stop negative self-talk and then the other one is uh, the art of oral sex a-u-r-a-l how to learn how to dirty talk I love it those are the two books that I'm working on um but yeah, so coming out with a um, undermine sex with some intimate products and just like really cool goodies that I'll expand on a little bit more and then under Karma Mind with meditation gear. Wonderful, wonderful. And if someone was wanting to work with you, you are licensed in which states? I'm licensed in Connecticut, right? So I'll probably end up being licensed in New York as well um, as of next year, but for now it's just Connecticut. And people can find me on Psychology Today under Mika Stapleberg. Wonderful. Wonderful. Ah. Well, we talked about a wide variety of things around sex work and mental health and destigmatizing. And I'm so happy that you got to be my very first video for 2023, my very first video podcast, I should say. So thank you for joining me. I wish you all the best. You're absolutely amazing and just keep up the great work. Awesome. Thank you, Kristen, so much for having me. I just, I always appreciate having a platform to speak about these. These were very important topics to to talk about today. So thanks for that. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Keep Them Coming with Open the Doors Coaching. Please rate, subscribe, and share this podcast and check the show notes for stuff we talked about during the episode. You can find me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Clubhouse, and TikTok, but visit my website if you want more information about me and my coaching services. You can join my safe for work or not safe for work email list, which I call the Dirty Bird. If you want less censored content about sex and relationships and want to know what I'm up to, please subscribe to that list. Send me an email, Kristen at Open the Doors Coaching, if you have a question, want to book a session, or want more information on my upcoming workshops. My theme song is original music by M. Kusa. Until next time.